Talk to us now and go to the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Dean Mackin. Dean Mackin. This is the Dean Mackin Show on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. And g'day, how are we going? Hope you're having a terrific day wherever it is that you happen to be. We get a terrific show lined up for you today, including, of course, the wonderful Gemma Cooper. Coming up imminently, I will be joined by Simeon Boykov, a.k.a. the Aussie Cossack, and Jeremy Beck, somebody who any of you who have been listening to my particular program uh, for the last year or almost a year, I would imagine, back since uh, May, close enough anyway, um, would know he was a regular on my program, would do the news with me, and we're going to have him as a guest Today as well, not to mention Alan Dana. Um, we're going to be talking about heart failure among pilots. And wow, isn't that a worry? Unless you're uh, any good at parachuting and have access to the back door. And you probably wouldn't want to do that at 10,000 feet unless you've got some oxygen as well. And I, I don't say that jokingly. I mean, I do kind of mock it a little bit. The simple fact is, I mean, could you imagine anything worse than having the pilot of your aircraft, you know, have a heart failure or worse, still die? Um, I couldn't imagine anything worse. It is the stuff that nightmares are made of. Absolutely. Um, a couple of things I want to talk about is COP28 and some people throwing all of their toys out of the cot when it comes to the Pacific Islands. The delegates there saying they weren't consulted. Now, anyone who knows any people who are native, native, I should, you know, I want to emphasize to the Pacific Islands, you know, they're terrific people. And they're also people who are, they don't scare easy, and they certainly can spot or smell a rat a mile off. So it was no surprise to me to learn that their delegate, or one of many from such islands over there at the COP28 climate, was not an Indigenous, or certainly didn't appear to be uh, an Indigenous islander anyway. In fact, this particular person of whom I speak, Miss Rasmussen, and I did check. I did go and check, and I've got a picture of Anne Rasmussen on there, certainly not of the island. So why you would have somebody who is representing you, the Pacific Islands, uh, Samoa specifically, I am talking about, at the COP28 Climate Summit is beyond me. It really is. And, of course, when they complain to say they didn't get a say, now, if that would have been a native of Samoa, and I do know many of them, my brother-in-law is one of them, and uh, I would suggest that would be because they went too far. They were going to do the wrong thing by them, by their kids moving forward. But of course, no, not for Anne Rasmussen. She's upset that it didn't go nearly far enough because here they are. They're trying to get away from fossil fuels, transitioning away, I believe is the term. But that's not enough. They want to phase it out altogether because they're living in la-la land. It can't happen. It cannot happen. But of course, for that to happen on the Pacific Islands, uh, where they have next to really no income, do they? So that would mean a bunch of money coming in from us rich countries. And by rich, I mean those of us who owe billions or trillions of dollars. We must be rich if we owe that much, right? Not really. Because if I'm walking down the street and there's two guys and one of them has $100, which isn't very much, and the other one's driving a Porsche, but he doesn't have much of an income and he owes... $200 million, he's not doing too well, and that Porsche won't be in his possession for very long. Kind of a little bit how we find ourselves at the moment. We have all this debt, we can currently pay it off, but after all of this nonsense, 
will be paying next to nothing off. So I did have a look at a bunch of these delegates who were representing not just the Pacific Islands, but a bunch of others uh, in that area. And very few of them, if any, seem to be native to those islands. So whilst here, they like to push the indigenous and uh, let them have their say and say that they should even have a say that's a little bit more equal than ours when it comes to doing the right, right thing. And I do mean the right thing by the indigenous people of places like Samoa. No, you're going to have the likes of Anne Rasmussen there to peddle your cart for you and to ask for a whole bunch of bucks. Dollars coming from you, coming from me, coming from our grandkids, because that's how this whole global climate scam goes. It can't be funded, realistically. It won't make money ever. It will only ever lose money. It will absolutely send us to the poorhouse, and it will literally send us back to living life the way of the Flintstones. So thank you, Anne Rasmussen. On behalf of all of the native Samoans that I know, um, I'm sure you've got their back. Not and uh, certainly another puppet, another white ant in the woodwork of what is a global plot to send us all broken to take what little we have. It is horrific, and that's how they play. That is what COP28 is all about. But again, um, because of the way the ABC wrote this particular thing up, they sounded a bit disappointment, a bit disappointed, I should say, which means it's probably, if anything, a little bit of a win for us, not quite what they'd hoped, didn't go quite as far as they hoped, but when you had a look at who was running the summit, somebody who didn't even believe that there was a problem, well, I guess that's as good as they could have hoped for. Uh, trying not to laugh, I say that too. Now, if you've missed your favourite TNT radio show, interview or episode, simply listen back whenever you want, wherever you want. Just visit the episodes page on the TNT radio website. We're on all of the major podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, Amazon, Spotify, Podbean, iHeart and TuneIn. So now there is absolutely no reason to miss out on anything here at TNT Radio. Getting straight to the facts. Enough with the lies. We need facts. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Yes, COP28. They should have called it COP IT. COP IT, because that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to cop it. Uh, and the more we succumb to the will of these, these absolute people who live in la-la land, fantasy, fantasy land, and, but they're really only the activists, aren't they? The ones who really do believe it. These ones who are peddling the narrative, they know it's BS. They're not stupid people, they know, but they also know which side of the, their uh, bread uh, has the butter and who's buttering their bread, and they shall peddle whatever narrative comes their way as long as you keep their pocket bank, you know, their, their, their bank account full and don't rain down on them because if they quote the wrong expert, God forbid. I only talk to experts who I like, who I find to be credible, and one of them is right now the wonderful Gemma Cooper. Hey, Gem, how are you? Yes, very good, Dean. Very good. It's Thursday. The weekend is approaching and we're really near to Christmas. This is the thing. The, the year has flown by, hasn't it? Really has. Oh, it's crazy. I've got to ask you a question because every day I get you to educate me on something that happens over in the UK because I have been way too pathetic to have yet visited the place, but I shall. Um, we have a thing called you know, Thursday night shopping, which is our late night weekday shopping night. It's been a bit of a thing for, for decades here in Australia, admittedly, because we're open Sundays and all day Saturday now, unlike 30 years ago, um, a lot of people don't opt to go out, but certainly it's still a thing. Do you have a late night shopping night during the week over in the UK? 
Yeah, I mean, there are so many parallels, aren't there, between uh, us and you guys, um, not just in, at least the, the global agenda that's thrust upon us, but even things like late night shopping. Yeah, Thursday night is late night shopping here in the UK. <laughs> We're open on Sunday, same as you guys. You know, the culture is homogenous, isn't it, in the West yeah. now? I mean, you can almost argue there is no culture. It's corporate culture. That's what rules the planet. Uh, but yeah, we're the same. In fact, I'm off to the wonderful UK city of Bath later for a little Christmas bash, and I'll be indulging in a little bit of late night shopping and going to a Christmas market there as well. So it uh, seems you've read my mind there, Dean. You've read my mind. You strike me as somebody who's very organised, who probably has the bulk of their shopping already done. And if not, you've got a list. You know exactly what you're getting, everybody. I have no clue. I will be out there on Christmas Eve about 10 minutes before the shops close on the phone asking everybody's shirt and uh, sock sizes and God knows what and getting a bunch of gift vouchers. Um, but then again, I, I do get rather generous gift vouchers, so I think they're reasonably happy, but I am, yes, very disorganised when it comes to uh, shopping. Well, I've stopped. I stopped years ago, in fact. Stopped, I stopped buying into the kind of let's all buy each other a load of tat that we don't need because I started to see it for what it was. Um, almost Christmas is an exercise in behaviour control, you know. And our family, when my mum was still alive, she said, let's not do presents this year. It was my, my granny had died a couple of months before. We were all very close, me and my mum and my grand. We all lived together, multi-generational living. And it hit my mum really hard uh, just before Christmas. And she said, let's just not do Christmas. Let's just have a nice meal, uh, toast grand's memory and don't do presents. It's too, too much to think about. And um, we were all so we didn't and it was the most relaxing nice stress-free um focused christmas we'd ever had so after that i stopped and i said to everyone i'm not going to buy you stuff um and it might make me sound like a bit of a scrooge but i do go all out on the food and drink i do i, I order all organic from local farmers and it all gets delivered um so that's where i spend my money pleasure pleasure and leisure not corporates nothing to do with corporations no i like that um a bunch less distractions i'm going to say one thing again it's a kind of it's not an ad because i'm not selling it I've, i found these wonderful things that nobody's ever seen they are imagine you know when a fan spins you can see through the fan because of the speed of the blades moving well, they've got these things online. You can buy them anywhere, Alibaba, eBay. If you type in holographic fan, you have these things and they've got LED lights and they spin so you don't see what's projecting the image. And all you see is in, in midair, a holographic 3D image. And I've bought a couple of them for Christmas and I've got all Christmas kind of stuff with Santa running around. They're wonderful. They're about 50 or 60, probably 50 pounds or thereabouts. And have a look. I, I, when I see something I like, I like to tell people about it. And it's one of those things I've never seen anywhere else. And I got one today and fired it up. It's absolutely wonderful. All right, enough about Christmas. What's breaking in news today? Well, I have to say that sounds like Project Bluebeam, what you've got there. You've got some holographic <laughs> image being projected into the sky. What is it, Dean? An alien invasion being projected over the top of your house? I will have a look at that. That sounds brilliant. That sounds actually very interesting. Um, but it's interesting as well that you were talking about COP28 because obviously they were all over there in the Middle East all flown over there, all staying in hotels with air conditioning, as we discussed yesterday when the draft resolution was uh, in its in its sort of infancy and it's now been decided. But of course, the reason they were all there is to stop temperatures going what they say is beyond 1.5 degrees centigrade. They don't want any more rises. So yeah. this story is broken here in the UK. It's probably broken everywhere else. You may have even heard this uh, today because obviously we've got the time difference, but it's early morning here in the UK and uh, the world's biggest iceberg is on the move. Scientists are tracking it as we speak. So I'm thinking maybe the guys at COP28 should have a look at this story because this iceberg is massive, 
Yeah. It's absolutely massive. And uh, it's being tracked by a European space agency, Cryosat 2, which has been watching this thing and monitoring it uh, via radar. Most of this beast, and it is a beast, it's twice the size of the Greater London area, not Central London, Greater London, which encompasses pretty much most of the southeast corner yeah. of the UK. It's twice as big as that, Dean. It's called A23A, and it's off the coast of Antarctica. Well, it's, it formed off the Antarctic coast, and it's drifting away now. It's on the kind of top of the peninsula. And this thing is just huge, 3,900 square kilometers, which in old money is 1,500 square miles, uh, with a 1,100 cubic mass, which means it's just shy of a trillion tons now we're in an era of global boiling they would have us believe uh, but this thing is certainly contradicting that fact wasn't discussed at cop 28 and it is on the so um, it's going to be in the next three weeks that scientists say is the most crucial uh, trajectory of its journey. Obviously, this thing is completely unpredictable. You don't know how icebergs of this size yeah. are going to move around. So, um, it, you know, it could be heading to a country near you quite soon. Well, 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 um, hey, Gemma, let, let's talk about an iceberg. For example, the bulk of it is under the water. Now, uh, an experiment that I did with my young son to teach him that this was all BS from a very young age, and I would suggest anybody does it, get a glass, Put an ice cube in it. You'll find that it floats partially above, or a fair bit of it, above the water. You fill that glass to the very brim. You can't get one more drop in. So they would have you believe that when these things melt, that all the water is going to overflow over the top of the glass. It doesn't happen because, as we know, when you freeze ice, it expands. The expanded bit is the bit that becomes buoyant and visible. So when that melts, it, it goes back into water, as we know, and not one drop goes over the side of the glass. Likewise, if this uh, iceberg's on the move, as it, and because the bulk of it is under the water, as it gets close to land, it'll it'll a it'll melt, b it'll it'll kind of run aground somewhere, and it won't pose a threat to anybody. But it's great that it's there. It's absolutely wonderful that it exists because we can blow their narrative out of the water, and certainly the other nar narrative that is if the icebergs melt, that we're going to be up up to our chin in water, which absolutely isn't the case. Only if a glacier enters the water is that then uh, where the water will rise. And it, it's not really happening in any great numbers anywhere in the world. And, I, uh, you know, the iceberg uh, one, that, that the ice cube, rather, analogy, I wasn't aware of that. Somebody explained that to me last year, and I thought, my God, that is genius. You're quite right. The iceberg, the ice cube in the glass when it melts will just go back into its original mass and it won't it won't um like you say make the glass overflow and i thought well that's such basic you could teach that like you, like you did to your son you could teach that to a three-year-old and yet here at cop 28 they're going on and on and on about something that literally isn't doesn't pose a threat at all um, no, let's hope this let's hope this iceberg teaches them a lesson i'm going to be looking at it i mean twice the size of greater london it's a it's a small country isn't it it's a small island well quite hey, a large Jim, island i've got an idea why don't we get some mass immigration happening to that iceberg? <laughs> it's, a, it's plenty of free space. They can build houses on it. They can keep it tethered up north. It'll be terrific. And uh, I, I guess many people in London would probably, we could put some ULES cameras on there just to make some people feel more at home as well. But um, I, I do say that tongue in cheek, obviously. But um, the simple fact is, I mean, uh, yeah, I think I think we're fed up with the nonsense. We're certainly fed up with mass immigration. We're fed up with the massive house price rises. And again, I can't believe here in Australia, I don't know how I got onto this, but it is relevant and ties in. Um, we're having record high house prices with interest rates. Some people paying about eight and a half percent each month on their mortgage. Wow, they're continuing to go up. This thing has got to fail. It's
got a, this Ponzi scheme at some point is going to come crashing down. I just wonder when. It's got to be rather imminent, I would imagine. Well, it's interesting. We've had uh, rate rises here in the UK too. In fact, the Bank of England today are due to announce whether they're going to keep interest rates at 5.25% uh, or whether they're going to raise it or whether they'll drop it. Mortgage lenders have just dropped their rates by about a percent to try and help the kind of housing market along. But for the last year, people have been absolutely terrified and obsessed with mortgage rates here in the UK. They did go up significantly after decades of, you know, 0.1%, 0.1%, 1%, you know, suddenly, you know, a big jump like that to 5%. It really did put the put the put the willies up a lot of people. But I think things are beginning to stabilise. But like you, we've got a housing crisis. And like you, you know, interest rates have been high. And it's amazing because the the housing crisis and the lack of housing will make people stretch so much further than they otherwise would have when it comes to making an investment. Gemma Cooper, appreciate you very much. Well, you'll be joining us next hour here at TNT Radio, and we'll catch you then. Everyone, everyone stick around. Got the Aussie Cossack coming up next here at TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Kate Shimarani. Don't stop taking prescription medication. Always go and see your indoctrinated GP, always. But with psychiatric drugs, you have to actually wean off them. They're very addictive and you have to wean off them. Now, I find all this really concerning. But what I cannot get my head around is the worst drug of all. They just let it on the market all the time. Sugar, 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 sugar. And then that's not even to bring in like MSG, monosodium glutamate. And and I, I, I can say you know you go into one of these garages and you see all the people going for food there's nothing to eat in there i very rarely can find anything to eat in any of these places and if you go into the supermarket there's only the first two aisles that have got real food the rest it's not food and i see what people buy i've covertly actually filmed people's trolleys not them don't get all excited but i have filmed trolleys uh, to have a look what people are buying and it's shocking because what you eat determines what your brain's going to be like and your teenagers brains do not stop developing till they're about 25 years of age kate shimarani on tnt radio a year ago i couldn't afford the rent anymore i had no support and i was out of options I had to sleep wherever I could. I thought, am I gonna be out here on Christmas day? Your urgent donation of £29.73 could help make this Christmas the first day of someone's life beyond homelessness. I'm so glad crisis was there. I could finally get warm. I had someone in my corner. We got something for you. This Christmas, I'm here home because my first day at crisis was my last day on the streets this christmas thousands more people across the uk will be facing homelessness we urgently need your donation search crisis at christmas or scan the qr code to give 29 pounds 73 now today's news talk radio i do a lot of streaming radio i do a lot of free streaming tntradio.live and welcome back to the program. The United States has asked Australia to send a warship to the Red Sea amid ongoing attacks on commercial shipping from Iran-backed militia. Now, the request made recently came from the US Navy, which wants the vessel to join an international task force, can you believe that, of which Australia is one of 39 member nations. The US-led CMF aims to combat smuggling, piracy, narcotics in international waters around the Middle East. Uh, Joining me to discuss this particular story is fellow TNT presenter Simeon Boykov, aka the Aussie Cossack. G'day, Simeon, how are you going? 
Dean, uh, good, thank you. And I'm going well, much better than uh, the US uh, diplomatic uh, corps, which is desperate in trying to drag Australia into yet another conflict. It's not about securing international shipping lands. It's not about combating narcotics or people trafficking. These are all reasons which the United States and the media and the establishment will give to make it look like a noble cause. So this is not about that at all. The reason to drag an Australian warship into that part of the world, which is the Red Sea, which is an area of probably the most dangerous shipping lane in the world at the moment, is to put Australia directly into the firing line of the Houthi uh, rebels. You've got Yemen there. Yes, they are backed by Iran. They're against Israel. And this is a situation where the Americans know exactly what they're doing. It's got nothing to do with narcotics, nothing to do with piracy, nothing to do with any reasonable cause. This has got everything to do with dragging Australia into World War III. Uh, in the last 24 hours, there have been many voices of reason calling this nonsense out, calling a spade a spade and saying that this is not a noble cause. This is America ordering the Australian uh, Navy, the Royal Australian Navy, to send a ship into a war zone. And it's a testing instance for Australia, for Australia's relationship with AUKUS. One might argue that because we're in AUKUS, we have obligations to the Americans. When the Americans ask us or request us, they're not really requesting or asking, they're ordering us. They're saying, yeah. pull your weight, send a warship. And not because an Australian warship is going to scare Yemen or scare Iran or scare some uh, major military power in the Middle East, in the Red Sea. It's because they want to demonstrate that America has allies and they want to drag Australia into it. So then America's problems or Israel's problems become Australia's problems. Yep. And now if you ask any Aussie out there, you do the pub test and you say, do we need to be sending Australian warships, the HMAs Brisbane, the HMAs Toowoomba, the Warramunga? Should we be sending these ships into a war zone, into the Red Sea? I, I, you would struggle to find any fair income Australian who would say, yes, that's a good idea. We've got nothing to gain. It's uh, a great relief that after much pressure, including from the Greens uh, leader, and I'm I'm not a fan of the Greens, but they seem to be saying a lot of things correctly recently, lately, on, on, in terms of- <laughs> It's a worry, isn't it? It really is a worry when we have to agree on that, yeah. Well, it's a worry when the Greens are the only adult in the room when it comes to, should Australia send its weapons, should Australia send its army, its navy overseas to wars? When you go Liberal and Labor saying, yes, 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 they don't even bother even discussing it, as we saw with all of these instances lately, where, uh, including sending our warships to the East China Sea, uh, provo provocating the Chinese Navy, uh, conducting military exercises, again, at the orders of the Americans. Why should Australian warships be conducting exercises teasing China off China's coasts? How would we like it if China was conducting exercises with its fleet of yeah. more than 1,000 surface ships, should I mention? We've got a handful. They've got more than 1,000. What if they were doing exercises off Melbourne's coast or off Sydney Harbour? I'm sure we would not like that. Now, this is another classic situation where the Americans want to feel uh, secure themselves. It's gunboat diplomacy in the most classic format. It's something which is uh, barbaric and outdated in its nature. This is something that people did 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 300 years ago, sending ships to other countries to intimidate them. And Australia should not be part of this. And I'm very pleased today to report to you that, uh, surprisingly, the Australian Defence Minister, Richard Miles, who usually gets it wrong, he has said that the federal government has yet to respond to the US request, which basically is a polite way of saying no. And I quote, he said, we'll consider this request in due course, but I would note that the focus of our naval efforts right now are on our immediate region. And that's 
a very good point finally that Richard Miles has made to reporters as simple as as simple as the fact that Australia's overextended we don't have the warships to send we don't have the bushmasters we don't have the artillery we don't have the armored personnel carriers the tanks or the fighters it's gone everything has been plundered by Zelensky plundered by Afghanistan plundered by Iraq we've sent everything we have and now in 2023 we're finally our defense minister is finally saying to the Americans sorry we can't help you yeah, mate, and it's about time, mate. The uh, the cupboards are bare, like in the movie Chopper. No cash, no cash here. We are out of cash. We're in a tremendous amount of debt. And mate, here's the thing: I don't want to fight any war unless it's one that you know immediately affects us here, Aussies, our sovereignty. If it doesn't affect us, you know, if we've got a mate that's in trouble, yeah, but not a mate who's out trying to pick a fight. We're not going to pile on on that one, are we? Absolutely. Look, uh, the Houthis uh, who are basically controlling the area in the Red Sea, uh, they're very well heavily armed. They've got drones, missiles, they've got everything. And as we've seen in the last few years, just because you've got a big ship, and the Russians have learned this with the, with the sinking of the Moskva, doesn't mean that you can withstand an attack from relatively cheap and improvised weapons. So by placing an Australian ship in those waters, it would be a disaster. And I'm very glad that someone in Canberra seems to have brains to finally say no to the Americans. The uh, Australian Defence Minister admits, I quote, that we've had certainly a tradition of being involved in allied operations where we're upholding international laws and trying to secure peace and stability, particularly related to ongoing commerce. But notwithstanding that, I really am pleased. You Very rarely you'll hear me say that I'm pleased with something that Richard <laughs> Miles has done. You've got to yeah. give credit where credit's due. Yeah, takes, I, I, I agree. But this is the question. Has he done it because he's got balls or has he done it because the kitchen cupboard is empty? I Mate, think it's. I, I suspect it's a bit of both. I don't know if he's got balls, Richard Miles, but I think I, I think I'm inclined to lean towards the uh, factor that Australia simply doesn't have the capabilities, and that's a long way away from home. The Red Sea, you cannot guarantee the safety or the uh, uh, existence of an Australian ship in those waters when you've got very heavily armed, very professional people who have got nothing to lose. They've got missiles, they've got drones. What's an Australian ship going to do there? A disaster averted. Meanwhile, in Washington, our uh, former Prime Minister, Tony Abbott, the bloke that famously threatened to shirt front Putin, has bizarrely begged uh, the US Congress, gone out of his way to beg them to give Ukraine more money. And he said that the US Congress should not go home to Christmas until they give Ukraine more money. I mean, wh why is Tony Abbott, a former prime minister, going out on a whim to beg the Americans? Because he's part of the establishment. He's probably He probably gets paid to make such yep. announcements. After they retire from being former prime ministers, they, they, they'll go and do cash for comment. They'll get contracts from institutes, from think tanks, from lobby groups, uh, from weapons companies, the most important and most powerful and most wealthy and influential lobbyists in the United States are, of course, the military industrial complex. And Zelensky met with them a few days ago while he was in Washington with all the bosses of all the big companies, Lockheed, uh, Boeing, uh, Raytheon. And of course, these people uh, scratch each other's backs. And Tony Abbott is just a pawn in that system, throwing his uh, two cents into uh, the ring, begging the American Congress, who, again, I'm very pleased and I've praised the American Congress here that they have held off from giving Ukraine more money. Zelensky rocks up to meet with Biden, asks for 20 billion. Biden gives him, sorry, Bus asks for 200, so asks for 20 billion uh, US dollars. Biden gives him 200 million and <laughs> says to him, yeah. 
uh, you know, don't lose hope and just you know keep going, son. Good so, good luck with that. Good yeah. luck. Two hundred million in international terms that would not cover Zelensky's expenses to fly here on a plane, private plane, and with his support staff and him. They wouldn't even cover that. So really, that goes to show that it's over. The Americans don't want to give any more money. Uh, silly people like Tony Abbott uh, don't see the writing that's on the wall. And if Tony Abbott was still in charge, uh, the likes of Tony Abbott, uh, who want a shirt front Vladimir Putin, <laughs> Australia would be left holding a baby. Might, might I add, where did that shirt front incident get him? He threatened the shirt front Putin in 2014 at the G20, but when he saw Putin, he hugged him and gave him a koala bear. So the <laughs> talk is cheap. Mate, I, I remember saying it was tantamount to me threatening to punch, uh, you know, a heavyweight boxing champion in the nose. It's just something you just don't do for fear that someday you may be required to do it and it won't end well. What always ends well is my chats with you, my friend. Uh, Ozzy Kozak, a.k.a. Simeon Boykov, mate, thanks for joining us and uh, we'll do it again tomorrow. Look forward to chatting with you tomorrow on the results of tonight's uh, Vladimir Putin uh, marathon question time. There'll be some spicy questions, some controversial questions and answers, and I'll be happy to update you tomorrow uh, on TNT Radio. Mate, I, I'm seriously, I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be fun, and it'll give our politicians an idea on exactly what we expect of them, and there's Putin doing it right now. Uh, good day, mate. Thank you. And coming up after the break, we're going to be talking to Alan Dunn, a former Jetstar pilot, a guy who was opposed to vaccine mandates. Why? Because he's intelligent and intuitive, a man who stood up for himself and did the right thing. We're going to be talking to him right after this here at TNT Radio. What's happening? TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. In a rare move, Hunter Biden has fronted the media, defending his father just hours before House Republicans voted to formally start their impeachment investigation into the president. A schoolteacher in Ireland who was fired for refusing to refer to a transgender student as they instead of he will spend Christmas behind bars. And former US President Donald Trump has warned if he's not re-elected in 2024, the US will sink into a depression comparable to 1929. Why not give TNT Radio a follow? We're on all major social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab and Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. TNT Radio. Hey, welcome back to the program. An absolute champion, fellow guy whose intuition is off the charts. Somebody who advocated for a healthy outcome for not just himself, but for those around him by spreading the word and doing the right thing. It's one thing to do the right thing and do the right thing by your family, but when you risk your job and your reputation and you're prepared to take it that one step further and share what you know with everybody else, I think that makes uh, a champion. And Alan Dana is one of those, a former Jetstar pilot, a man opposed to vaccine mandates. He claimed, and, and I would have uh, guessed this, it wouldn't surprise me one bit, claimed that elites, you know, those in the know, those at the top end of town, when they get a pilot, they don't want a vaccinated pilot. They want an unvaccinated pilot. He's also a member of the Global Aviation Advocacy Coalition. And yeah, I mean, because heart failure is up massively. We've seen the US military reports and it is horrific. It's not just an anomaly. It is an undeniable statistic that points points dead in the, the headlights of what was the vaccine mandate. And we've got Alan Dana with us today. Hey, Alan, how are you going? Dean, I'm great. Uh, thanks for having me back on. It's my pleasure. 
Mate, an absolute pleasure. Mate, um, but frightening, frightening the things that we have to talk about and that data, uh, some of it coming from the US military who keep impeccable records, absolutely impeccable. We had leaks of that information historically. It was closed off, hit on the head. We now, we, on the head, we now have access to that information again. And wow, it's really the elephant in the room, isn't it? Well, I called it a long time ago an elephant in the cockpit as far as aviation <laughs> goes. It was, a, it was a serious situation that was initially brought up by Lieutenant Colonel Teresa Long. And she's actually in a military aviation medic. And she's responsible for giving flight certification uh, for medicals for army pilots in uh, attack helicopters. So she had a very, very uh, significant role in the safety of frontline uh, fighting forces in the United States military. And in the United States, they've got a very robust um, DMED database, which is the military defense database of medical events. And they actually have a lot better um, scrutinizing of adverse reactions, which they were basically keeping to themselves, separate from their VAERS system, which is the vaccine adverse reporting system for the domestic uh, civilian doctors. And Lieutenant Colonel Theresa Long, she actually had three pilots in one morning fail their flight physicals for wow. cardiac issues, and they were vaccinated. So she went back through the DMED database to start to have a look at what other things were having and the, and the temporal time between vaccination. And she saw that there was a, a real significant red flag, which she brought to her superiors, and they ignored it, and they reassigned her. So what do you do when the systems that are designed to red flag issues, whether it be a mechanical issue with an aircraft or a medical issue for doctors, and you've got a problem and you bring it to your superiors and then they ignore it? Well, they're either complicit, they're stupid, or it's treason as far as the military is concerned. And that also speaks to the larger issue what's going on with our military here in Australia and also the UK and across Europe, highly vaccinated populations. We know that we've got a situation of adverse reactions. That is undeniable. And we know that we've got an excess in excess mortality. That's undeniable. So the adverse reactions of the people are still upright and walking around. What's going on with those people? And this was Theresa Long's issue. We need to find these pilots before they have an event in flight. And unfortunately, they have been having events in flight. So much so that the American Federal Aviation Administrations have actually widened the parameters for the cardiac test so that they can pass their tests now. Wow. So whereas before it used to be there and they would sign off a pilot's medical and now they've widened it because so many pilots are presenting and failing their medicals on the cardiac issues. I can't so believe that. It, Wait. I mean, it's, it's they, a huge issue. It's a huge they, issue. Here they are moving the goalposts closer so they can pass these tests. I've, I've got to say <laughs> complicit, I think, was one of the words you use. And absolutely, you are complicit no matter what. Even if you're somebody who's scared to lose their job, you recognise there's a problem. But because you want to keep your job, you still don't speak up when it comes to people's lives and not just the lives of, of an individual, but you're up to hundreds of people on an aircraft. I mean, you are that could be you know considered to be mass murder uh, by way of complicity. By some. Mate, now, I know quite a few pilots, and uh, it's a particular breed of person who becomes a pilot, and every pilot 
that I know, whether it be commercial or just the guys who have the license that do it on a weekend, they're always my, my most intelligent friends. They're very intuitive. There must have been a whole bunch of people who knew this thing was dangerous, who did it solely to keep their job. And I'm just wondering how they're coping now, knowing that this is, and I'm sure you know people who absolutely didn't want to do this, but who did. Um, how do they seem to be coping when they learn of this this data? We know like cardiac events up 1000% because they're guys who aren't going to turn a blind eye. And even though they may not be speaking of it openly, they're, they're going to get it. They're going to understand it. That I do know. So, I mean, are you having any on the side conversations with people that you can disclose? Absolutely. I had a coffee with a colleague a few months ago and he just basically said, I took it to keep my job, to keep my marriage, to you know look after the kids. We had debt and he basically took the bullet really for them. And he is concerned every single day because he said he did feel uh, there was something not quite right with his heart. Wow. He, had, he had a racing heartbeat for weeks after taking taking the second shot. And it happened again after he had his booster. And he doesn't know what's going to happen. And this is our concern. The Civil Aviation Safety Authority, CASA, led by Dr. Kate Manderson here in Australia, they did no aeromedical testing on these drugs when they were given, when, when they had the opportunity. I mean, there's a whole list of drugs that the Civil Aviation Authority screen and test and evaluate to see if it's safe to put in a crew member who then goes flying because in an out altitude in a cabin pressurized cabin of an airliner there's different uh, different uh, effects that you're going to have on your body at altitude than you are going to have at the ground level i mean in the airlines they go to great lengths to test wine and food at altitude because your palate changes yeah and so so they go to that lengths to make sure that your business class meal or your economy meal tastes tastes right and flavor it appropriately. But then for these new type medications, they did no aeromedical evaluation. So they're complicit. They derogated their job and they really taking money for, for nothing. And it's, it's, it's a crime. And we know this is a crime now. And as we go further on in the year, there's more and more adverse reactions happening to everyone, not just pilots, but everyone. But the thing is, if a pilot keels over when he's at the supermarket, no big deal. But if he kills over at the controls of an airline with 300 people on board, that's a big deal. And it is an emergency. We're required to declare an emergency if a crew member becomes incapacitated and there's no replacement. Because if you then subsequently have a technical malfunction with the airplane, that airliner will be basically unable to be flown properly and safely one pilot. Yeah, and so it's... It's a massive deal, not just because of what you said, but for those thinking uh, they've had a couple of shots, and I, I don't even need to ask because I know how intuitive most pilots are. There's no way most of them are getting their boosters, just no way. Um, but for those thinking they've only had the two shots, it's only people that have had three, four or more that are having issues. The simple fact is the data also says a lot of the damage is already done and moving forward, the heart doesn't tend. When a heart muscle is destroyed, it doesn't tend to heal itself because it's never at rest. And um, the, the long-term outcome of that's not good. So the best we can do is, you know, as you say, identify those who could potentially have a problem and uh, make it safe for the public. That's what we have to do. Speaking about the public and being safe, a man who, of course, would be um, very used to facing extreme weather in a bunch of scenarios. Mate, I've got to ask you personally, you, you were, I believe, in the path of that Cat 2 system up in Port uh, Douglas last night. 
Yeah, absolutely. It was a bit of a sleepless night. And uh, luckily, we didn't get any damage to the house. Uh, we had 350 mils of rain overnight. How much? Got more coming. 350, 350 mil. Wow. Yeah, just uh, that was just up the road in uh, in Mossman. And um, so it's extremely wet. And mo most most of the damage is just tree damage. Um, it was only a cat two system. So it wasn't anything really to get too excited about. If you didn't prepare, then obviously you're going to be suffering. Uh, the power has been out for just over 24 hours now. So we've got a little generator going, which is why I've got lights in the house at the moment. So a little a little two KVA unit. But um, yeah, watching the mainstream news in town, they're really sort of egging it up. They just love the drama. They love the excitement. <laughs> yes. Um, and they just over egg it again, you know, something else to be afraid of. And it's it's not, you know, it's you've just got to prepare. Right. If you live in the countryside, as we are in remote areas, you have to be self-sufficient. You have to have fresh water. You've got to have a jenny. You've got to have yeah. spare fuel for your car and the generators. And if you prepare properly, you don't have a problem. But it's for those people that don't prepare. You know, it's it, it becomes a bit of an issue. The roads are back open now. The supermarkets have got uh, portable generators. They've got some lights back on. Uh, but one thing that is really, really making me smile is that FPOS isn't working. So everyone's <laughs> back to cash. I, I love it. Mate, I can tell you, you know, you're a commercial airline pilot, just the methodical way you think. It's very authoritative. It's wonderful to hear you speak. And I thank you for coming on the program today, mate, and for speaking many truths and uh, and just for getting things in perspective. And you have a gift for doing that. And Alan Dana, I appreciate you coming on the program today. No problem at all. We'll talk again soon. Coming up after the break here at TNT Radio, Jeremy Beck, stick around. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. Stop letting leftists set the agenda. Stop letting them turn nothing burgers into the most pressing issues of the day. Stop letting them use words like inclusion, equity, fairness, and diversity as cudgels to beat you into submission. Stop bowing, stop scraping, stop bending the knee and stop giving them what they desire, an abject apology, assuring them that they'll get their way and everything will be fine. Because it won't be fine. That won't be the last complaint. Every time you submit to them, you encourage them. You give them more fuel for their next attack. And it will go on for decades. The Onondaga Nation complained to Syracuse University about the Saltine Warrior mascot in 1978. And here we are, 45 years later, the Onondaga Nation is complaining to Liverpool High School about using Warriors as their athletic mascot. For 45 years it was fine, but now all of a sudden in 2023 it's not. Stop giving in to this culture of destruction. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. The challenges our planet's animals are facing sometimes feel a bit heavy. The animals haven't eaten in a day, two days, they haven't drank anything, they're cold, they're dehydrated. As soon as we started our descent, everywhere I could see was mud. Just absolutely mud. You know, the country has been in prolonged for drought so long, it was like a tinderbox waiting to go up. Okay, very heavy. Each of us wants to be part of the solution, and we can be. Remember that there's good happening right now. At home. All right, we were able to get into your unit and we have all four of your cats. So, uh... Okay. And around the world. For any animal in any disaster. 
So let's focus on that, right? Be part of the solution. One rescue at a time. Search ifa.org forward slash disaster ready. Dean Mackin. Dean Mackin. This is the Dean Mackin Show on today's News Talk TNT Radio. And welcome back to the program. My next guest, you will know certainly his voice. And uh, for those of you who have been lucky enough to take advantage of the fact that we now stream video, and if you're not doing that, why not? Unless you're driving, in which case I do understand, says the guy who occasionally watches YouTube videos as he's driving down the freeway. One eye. Well, only one eye. Only one eye. Uh, I'm talking about Jeremy Beck, uh, not just a producer, a consultant. He is an expert on globalization issues and also a commentator here at TNT Radio, having filled in for me for a week or so uh, not that long ago and doing a tremendous job too, I might add. Jeremy Beck, welcome to the program. Thanks, Dean. Good to be here. And always fantastic to have you on and a couple of things that, you know, we're going to have a, have a chat about, mate, this whole, you know, uh, AUKUS, you know, uh, situation, something, it's, it's not going to go away, is it? Well, it's a, it's a huge project. Uh, we're looking at now new legislation has passed in the United States. So Australian nuclear powered submarines are a step closer to reality. The AUKUS legislation has cleared the US Senate the bills uh, that passed the Senate were part of a package of legislation which formally allows the Australian government to make a $3 billion payment to accelerate the production in US shipyards. Wow. Uh, that's $3 billion US dollars, which is $4.5 billion Australian dollars. Uh, and that's just the start. This, this whole project is going to be some whopping hundreds of billions of dollars over decades. Uh, the legislation allows for the relaxation of export controls, so sensitive technology can be uh, transferred to Australia. Uh, it also allows private defence contractors to train in the United States. Uh, now, there was concern in the legislation uh, that the legislation uh, uh, the United States just simply couldn't afford this, you know, deal at the moment. So it got delayed. I mean, they've got wars going on around the world. We've got Ukraine, we've got the Middle East. Uh, so there, there was some concerns, but it's finally passed the Senate. It still has to pass the House of Representatives in the United States, but it did pass the Senate 87 votes to 13. So overwhelmingly got passed. I, I would say that it would likely pass both houses, there's certainly a strong commitment to this AUKUS nuclear-powered submarine deal. Mate, it makes me worry because here we are where it's going to be many, many years before we see these things and the technology is advancing so much. We've seen how much drones have come into play, not just drones that fly. They have drones that work underwater. Um, I would suggest the future will be unmanned submersible vehicles and certainly ones that can approach ships, ones that may appear as a dolphin, possibly as small as a fish, attach itself to the side of a submarine and for a fraction of the cost, not billions, not even probably millions of dollars, but something that could possibly only cost a couple of hundred thousand dollars to manufacture, could take out one of these submarines in an instant. And here we are betting on odds that we don't understand because we really have no idea what the future holds as far as military technology goes. It's a huge concern, Dean. And I've also got concerns about the aircraft carriers. They're just sitting ducks uh, in the United States. You know, they have a massive military, but if they really want to flex their muscles and if they do poke Russia or India or China or any major nation, 
Uh, if push came to shove, those aircraft carriers are sitting ducks. I would say uh, nuclear-powered submarines would be much harder to find. But at the end of the day, do we really want to go down this path which risks nuclear World War III? Because these subs, they're nuclear-powered, but it is possible that they could have nuclear weapons. At this stage, there's no real confirmation that they will, but I'm sure there are plans for that in the future to have them armed with nuclear weapons. That would be very highly confidential at this stage if that was to occur. But what is clear, this legislation uh, has a, a capacity that the president, 270 days before the transfer of the subs, could uh, block the whole situation, that the, uh, the project, because it may not be consistent with US foreign policy interests of the day. Now, remember, <laughs> these... These subs uh, won't, well, the first sub, it's a Virginia class nuclear powered sub, won't arrive in Australia until the early 2030s. I mean, we're talking a decade away. A lot can happen in 10 years. Yeah. The way the world's going right now, a lot, who would have believed what's happened in the last year? It's, it's quite amazing. And as you said, Dean, it's a concern uh, that, uh, you know, this could be a huge waste of money. Uh, those nuclear submarines could be taken out with some other sort of warfare. Uh, and there's also so many different sorts of warfare that could be used. There's cyber warfare, there's biological warfare, there's information warfare. There's so many different sorts of warfare that can be used today, uh, proxy warfare. And uh, I, I think we're still living in a, an era that the military leaders haven't got with the times and they're still pushing same old ideologies. Mate, and of course, come summer and winter, when we have them, roll on 10 years, they've shut down all of our coal-fired power stations, those vehicles will be uh, unavailable for war because they'll be tied up with the extension lead plugged in just to uh, provide some power to homes in Sydney, Melbourne and other countries in our coastal regions. Uh, I, I, and I, even though I say that tongue-in-cheek, the simple fact is, mate, it'll be the only nuclear power generation that we have here by that stage because all these imbeciles uh, want to rely on, you know, solar and wind and it's just not going to uh, work out well. Mate, uh, uh, what, if we have another thing we're going to talk about as well. They're exactly right. And today, uh, if you're hot there in New South Wales, uh, it's been pretty hot here in Melbourne in, in the last couple of days, not so bad today. But in New South Wales, households right across the state have been urged to reduce their electricity usage tonight. <laughs> as <laughs> You couldn't make this up. Uh, as heat uh, is apparently record. Oh, I don't believe that for one minute. No. But the, the heat um, is expected to cause a spike in electricity demand from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. this evening in New South Wales. Now, because we're in a national electricity market, uh, if, if you have some sort of problem in one state anywhere right across the east, it could be like dominoes that if you have a, a breakdown and then uh, then power needs to be sent over to the Queensland or to Victoria or what have you, it's all very, very tightly managed. And now the, uh, the, uh, the situation is, let, let me just quote you here. New South Wales Energy Minister Penny Sharp says the, the government has enacted a an energy response protocol which involved agencies and major utilities minimizing energy use she says every small bit of action 
that we make will make it much easier to make sure the grid stays on and there's not a problem. If you can turn your air conditioning up a little bit, over about 24 degrees is fantastic. Uh, if you can make sure you don't use your dryers, your dishwashers, <laughs> your pool pumps, that will help. <laughs> and look, you know, the system's teetering on the brink. They only have themselves to blame. What did they do? What did they think they were doing when they got rid of our baseload power stations, the coal-fired power stations, and relying on these, you know, unreliables, as I call them. They're not renewables. They're unreliables, the solar and the wind. Uh, and, of course, this peak demand is expected around about close to sunset when solar power is going to be basically useless. Yeah. Uh, if there's no wind, well, it won't get much out of that either. It's just madness, Dean. It is. You know, they've closed down Liddell here, and both of these are very close to me. Uh, Araring, they've had to extend because as the reality of the grid that is required versus the one that they would love to have you believe can save us uh, comes to fruition or not, um, mate, the reality is they can't have these blackouts. Blackout Bowen cannot have these because people like you and I will be saying, I told you so. We'd rather say it now than later. Either way, we'll be saying it. That much is true. But, mate, again, I would encourage everybody listening. Uh, if, if we can break it, let's break it. Let's break it now. So turn on everything you got, crank it up at about five o'clock, leave it on. If it costs you a couple extra, you know, 20 bucks on your power bill at the end of the quarter, it'll be well worth it just to show them how much of a disaster is pending. Yes, I agree. Look, they in the, the government will probably say this is irresponsible, rah, rah, rah. <laughs> well, who was irresponsible by shutting down our coal-fired power stations and not re replacing them with reliable energy, such as nuclear power, which, is banned here in Australia. It, that's irresponsible. Uh, now, if the system does crash, uh, I would say hooray, because the sooner it happens, the more people realise that we can't continue going on, pushing this nonsense, shutting down, because they're still planning to shut down more coal-fired power stations, the last ones that we have. Yep. Uh, so if, if it does crash, just like what happened in South Australia, remember when the whole oh, state yeah. went down? Yes. That was that was a real wake-up call. Uh, now this this can't happen soon enough. Now there there are so many ways we can solve this problem, but it's not going to be easy. Even if we have the best government in place with all the the, the right decisions made, it takes years. To, to build a power station. They, they don't just simply happen overnight, and particularly the nuclear powered ones. They take, you know, five years for most of those to be set up. And, and that's going well. You know, some take 10 years. And, uh, and, and we need nuclear power for the future, but coal fired power stations, even they, they take several years to get up and running from the decision making process all the way to the final, you know, electricity on the grid. Well, I'll tell you what, Jeremy, when we make the switch, if you will, it won't take them years to close them down. They won't leave them on standby just in case they got it wrong. They'll get the bulldozers in literally within a week. So there's no going back, I would imagine. Let's quickly just tie our two stories together because I love exposing hypocrisy. Australia, a country absolutely uh, does not want apparently nuclear power, but it's OK to have a few nuclear subs. I don't know. Is that not a form of hypocrisy? You be the judge. It's it's just ludicrous. Look, nuclear power is fantastic. We should have had it decades ago. The fact that we're going with these nuclear subs, expensive subs that are only going to threaten our interests, put us in bad 
relationships with our closest neighbours, our biggest trading partners. They're going to make us a nuclear target too, to yeah. be honest, aren't they? And yeah. we previously had never been considered that by our big guy enemies uh, ever before. Jeremy Beck, running out of time. Absolute pleasure to have you on, mate. And uh, I do appreciate you. And very quickly, you gave me the an idea for a guest. We need to get on somebody, anybody from South Australia who was affected and went without electricity for weeks. I think that would be rather telling in itself. And Jeremy, producer, uh, producer, Jeremy Beck, producer to the stars. Thanks for coming on today. Have to get to the news. Uh, we're going to be back, everyone. This is TNT Radio. Join us for our next hour. And if you're not watching, you need to get onto the YouTube live stream and we'll be back right after the news.